such an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning, to, to speak out of this passage, uh, which is so fascinating, uh, has so many layers. Uh, this is my first time speaking in this congregation, and I'd love to tell you just a few things about myself, uh, three of which happen in this passage. The first, which does not happen in this passage, is that I love basketball. I love this time of the year. The NBA playoffs are happening. Uh, during March Madness, I am constantly on CBS, like checking scores, fill out a bracket. Love basketball. I also love books. If you've been to my office, it's just stacked with books, and it's, it, I have an obsession. Uh, my wife told me after an exceeding amount of books that if I were to buy even more books, she would not help me move them. And I have moved them ever since uh, because I love them that much. The other three things that happen in this passage that I love is that I love to walk around, I love a good meal, and I love talking about Jesus. I love talking about good theology. So we are two weeks past Easter. And if you're like me, at times you may have forgotten that. That, oh yeah, we have this thing called the resurrection that just happened. But in this passage, these two disciples, Cleopas and another one, we don't know that person's name, which is interesting, uh, they are walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus right that afternoon, that morning after the resurrection. They're, they're in the wake of it. They're in the thick of it. And put yourself in their shoes. Jesus is somebody that they had put a ton of hope in. They had traveled with him. Now, these two disciples weren't the, a part of the core 12. They weren't, or 11. They weren't a part of that inner circle, but they had followed Jesus for some time. He was their hope. He was, for them, the Messiah. So when he comes into Jerusalem, they're, they're amped. They're like, yes, we're going to start this thing. This thing that the, the Old Testament prophets and the Hebrew narrative spoke of. And when Jesus is arrested and is crucified and is dead and buried, you could imagine that they lost a lot of hope. Despite the fact that Jesus was talking about that he would rise again. And when they hear news that from these women that come back from the cave, come back from the tomb and say like, hey, Jesus is gone, his body is, is gone, and these angels are saying that he's alive. If you're standing in the, in the shoes of the disciples, you're saying to yourself, all right, which one of the disciples took the body? Let's get out of here. Because certainly the religious elite, Pilate, Roman authorities, they're not going to be happy about this, and they're going to come looking for somebody. And I don't want to be that somebody. Let's get out of town. So they leave Jerusalem. And they're, they're confused and they're sad. Now this isn't like an aw shucks kind of sad. This is like despondent, depressed, sullen. Because these two disciples, their identity, their hope was wrapped in Jesus. And he is dead and has gone missing. So they leave. They leave Jerusalem. And on their way, they're talking about what has occurred. They're lamenting to one another. 
then Jesus appears mysteriously. Isn't that like Jesus? To show up mysteriously in ways that we can't understand or fathom? We don't understand why he shows up like a magician. Like, we, we don't understand why he even keeps his identity from his disciples, these people that knew him and certainly would be comforted by his presence. Instead, he asks them a question. What are you guys talking about? And, he, and the two disciples get into it. This guy, Jesus, is amazing. He was, was going to be the Messiah, and he died. And now we hear word that these women have said that he's gone, and, and the angels have said he's alive. We don't know what to do. Jesus says, come on. You've read the scriptures. You know the prophets. Suffering was a part of the gig for the Messiah. The Messiah had to suffer. You see, these two disciples, they suffer. They are in a suffering. And there is a lot of suffering in our world. Certainly, there's a lot of physical suffering. Homelessness. Starvation. People marginalized from their homes or their countries because of war and violence. There's also a lot of silent suffering. A lot of anxiety. A lot of depression. And we, whether we like to say it or not, a lot of suicidal thoughts in us and in our people. There's a lot of mental illness that has bore on us and that creates in us depression and anxiety and hurt and pain. And sometimes, a lot of the times, we don't know what to do with that. So we push it away. We run from Jerusalem. We marginalize the pain. We stuff it. Or we try to eat and drink our way through it. Or sleep our way through it. Or we get out that credit card and do retail therapy. It's always not great. Spending beyond our means. Creating a different type of suffering. You see, we have a lot of hurt and pain in us. And Christ has come and suffered alongside of us. My favorite early church father says this. His name is Athanasius. And he said, it's very simple. Jesus became like us that we might become like him. Let me say it one more time. Jesus became like us, that he might make us like him. So Jesus came and suffered and suffered like us in order that it might be redeemed, it might be brought to glory. Jesus came and suffered the same type of silent suffering that we often go through. I am certain that it is very anxious and to have a ton of anxiety, to know that you are going to die, and die in an incredible way, a very excruciating way. Christ had so much anxiety that he sweat blood. That's, that's anxiousness, that's anxiety to me. 
And it certainly is very lonely to walk into a desert by yourself without food and be tempted by Satan. That's a very lonely place. Christ has suffered alongside of us so that all of our suffering may be redeemed. That there might be good that comes from it. That's why he says, don't you get it? There had to be suffering in order that there might be glory. So he journeys with them, these two disciples, teaching them about how the Old Testament relates to this Messiah. It's fascinating to think that Christ was talking about himself to these disciples through the scriptures, and they didn't really know even know who he was. But there were, their hearts were, were warmed. They were on fire. And this stranger who is talking about somebody that they thought they had known and spent so much time with, and that their eyes are being opened to, to new things and new truths, and, and Christ is illuminating the scriptures for them, this stranger to them, they are amazed by it and say, come, the day is almost done. Let us eat. Let's come to a table. Let's continue the conversation. And Christ says, okay. And so they come to the table. It is an amazing, uh, wonderful coincidence uh, that my wife and I, Lindsay, are hosting some of our friends, Anne and Andy, this weekend. Um, we met Anne and Andy uh, in grad school. Anne and Lindsay were in the same marriage and family therapy uh, cohort. And I'm not sure who asked whom to dinner first, but uh, we got into a rhythm in school of eating uh, e with each other every other week. And we would uh, go to each other's homes and make a meal. And I should say, not we, but them. I'm terrible at cooking. I'm a solid dishwasher. Like, that's my jam. But Anne and Andy and Lindsay would make these wonderful meals. And we would share life together. We would tell outrageous stories about the things that we've done. We laughed uncontrollably. And when we were at the table, we were vulnerable with one another. We shared about our family pains and the stuff that we had gone through, the stuff that we were going through. We, we bore with one another. We were vulnerable with one another at the table. When my grandfather passed away uh, from Alzheimer's, Ann and Andy were some of the first people to come and comfort Lindsay and I. And when Lindsay and I were considering uh, following a job down here in San Diego, spoiler alert, we did, they were there at a table to ask us really good questions, wanting the best for us. You see, the table in Christian theology and in the Bible is an important symbol. It's very understated. We don't make a lot of it, but it's there in the background of so many of our stories. It's at the table that Jesus sits and teaches out of what has happened in their lives. It's actually the chief, one of the chief accusations that the Pharisees level against Jesus, that he sat and dined with sinners and tax collectors and political rebels. 
Christ invites Zacchaeus to the table. It's at the table that Christ is revealed in this story. It's at the table that we can commune with each other, with friends and with family, and know and see the presence of Christ. Because when we come to the table, we have to acknowledge a few things. First is that we are, we are hungry. We're starving. And we are in need of food and life. We come in need to the table. We come in need of life. And so we have to acknowledge that we're not machines, that we're human, that we suffer things, that we suffer hunger, that we suffer pain. And when we come to the table, we come as equals. We're eating the same food, drinking the same water. We come together to speak with one another, to enjoy each other's company. Just as much as we need food, we need relationship. We need life together. So it's at the table, no wonder, not through the expelling of scripture, but it's at the table when Christ takes bread, a normal, ordinary loaf of bread at a very ordinary location, at a very ordinary time in their lives. He takes bread and breaks it and blesses it and gives it to his disciples, these two people who are suffering. He says, eat. And in that moment, Jesus is revealed as who he is, that he was with them all along. With them, sharing in their burden, sharing in their suffering. The meal that we have, the meal that we eat together in Christ's name is an extremely important meal because it is our identity. There are three ways that the New Testament talk about the body of Christ. First is the flesh and the, the blood and the bones that the second person of the Trinity incarnated, that walked around the Sea of Galilee, that sat at the table with sinners, that same body that was crucified, died, and was buried. The second way, the second reference in the New Testament to the body, the, the body of Christ is this meal, communion, Eucharist. That on the night that he was betrayed, Christ says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. This is the body of Christ. These elements, this sacrament. Because it's life-sustaining. It's the bread of life. And the third way that the Old, Old Testament references the body of Christ is us, the church. We are the body of Christ. Gifted with particular roles to be the feet and the hands of Jesus to each other and to the world. So reimagine this scene a little bit. That at the table, it's Jesus, the risen Christ, offering his body of Christ 
to the body of Christ. So fascinating. Because Christ is pointing out that in these elements, in being taken up, broken, blessed, and given, he is forming us into who we are supposed to be, which is the body of Christ. Those words, those four words, are I identity. Because we, as believers, we as followers of Christ, are taken up into his life. We are given as, particip- as participants in God, given roles, gifts. And we are participating in God. And yet, we are broken. We suffer. We have questions. We have hurts and pains, lost hopes, and expectations. And yet, we are blessed. For some reason, God loves us. Loves us immensely. And we are beloved by him. And he holds us in high esteem. And he blesses us alongside of our brokenness and gives us to the world as a means of grace to each other and to everyone we come in contact with. We are the body of Christ, taken up, broken, blessed and given to the world as grace so that this table can be seen in so many other tables. This is the table that is to represent every table. Not only this table where we, we eat a small amount of bread and a cup of juice, but this is reflective of all the other tables that you come in, encounter with. The card tables that you have with grad students. Your conference tables at work. The dining tables in your homes. This can be that. Because when we acknowledge our own vulnerability, when we acknowledge our own suffering, when we say, yeah, I don't have it all and I am in need, and you come with other people to the table, whomever those people might be, Christ shows up in a mysterious way. Christ shows up at the table. And the cool thing is, these disciples, when they have encountered the presence of Christ, run back to Jerusalem. They run back to the eleven, saying, we have just experienced and seen the presence of God. We've seen Jesus. and He is alive. He is risen. The suffering that we have, yes, it's there. And I'm confused just as much, but I know that Jesus is alive and there's hope in him. There's hope at the table. That's what we're affirmed of in this passage. And when we come to the table with our whole selves, all of our suffering, physical or otherwise, when we come to the table and acknowledging each other's humanity, when we share food together, all of us in need, the bread of life, Christ shows up in ways that are beyond our understanding. That's our hope.
as I pray, the, the worship band is going to come up. And I would invite you to, to think about the ways that you can come to the table. We're going we're gonna to go through uh, the sacrament. Pa- uh, Pastor Melissa is going to lead us through that. And I pray that you think through how you can be vulnerable, how you can be in touch with your own suffering, and be able to invite people to your table so that God can show up. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us and are calling us into deeper relationship with who you are. Lord, I pray that you enable us with your Holy Spirit to have eyes to see and ears to hear all the different tables you are inviting us to, all the different ways that we can be your body for the world, that we can be a means of grace for this world. Guide us, Lord. Shape us into the way of your Son so that we may pour love and grace and peace and mercy and justice into the world, into our relationships, the way that you have done so with us. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.